Welcome to the Kingdom Community Show, exclusively on Kingdom Community Television. My name is Glenn Blakeney, and today I sit down with Pastor Rick DeBose. He's an executive with the Assemblies of God, and he's written an incredible book called In Jesus' Name, Five Altars of Prayer That Move Heaven and Earth. This is a powerful interview, and I know it's going to greatly encourage you. God bless you. Hey, Pastor Rick, welcome to Kingdom Community Television. So good to have you with us today. Well, it's an honor to be with you, and I appreciate the invitation, Glenn. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I'm excited about your book. I love the title, In Jesus' Name. Wow, there's such power in Jesus' name. But then the subtitle, Five Altars of Prayer That Move Heaven and Earth. Now, I know that you um, have obviously have studied the scripture. You, you know the scripture well. You're an executive with the Assemblies of God, been in ministry for a long time. Yeah. So this book was written not only from the revelation of scripture on prayer, but also a personal encounter you had with the throne room of God. Please tell us about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, it was a it was one of those mornings where I was uh, with my team, the uh, folks that serve on the uh, on my staff at the church I was pastoring at the time. And we uh, we were going to early morning prayer as I knelt down to pray. I made this comment, Lord, I want to come into your throne room. Now, when I said that, I'm thinking Hebrews boldly approach the throne of grace. But when I knelt down and made that statement, suddenly God began to let me see the throne room and how it functioned. And every time he would show me a phase or a process or a part of it, he would give me the scripture so that I would immediately know I'm seeing something others have seen before. I wasn't the first to look into that. I wasn't the first to recognize it. It started like this, Glenn. I, I was uh, I was kind of in an upper level, what I would call a mezzanine or a balcony level. F picture that with me. I'm standing close to a railing. And as I looked over the railing, I looked down below and I saw what John the Revelator in the book of Revelation called the 24 thrones or the 24 elders. To my far left was the throne of the Father, was the great throne of God. I really didn't see God. I knew it was his throne. I knew it's where he was, and I knew that it wasn't going to be revealed to me, and that was fine. But then I noticed from his right hand a circle started that formed and went all the way around this great circle and went back to his left hand, and it was made up of those famous 24 thrones, the 24 elders. Huge circle. I remembered the scripture, the circle of the earth. And I don't know why that scripture, I do now, but at the time, I didn't know why that scripture yeah. came to me, but I saw this enormous circle. When I looked into the midst of the circle, I saw again what John called the sea of glass. Wow. When I saw the sea of glass, something was revealed to me that I'd never thought of before. I'd never read a scripture that made me think of it. As I looked into the sea of glass, I could see the entire earth. I could see all the world. I know the earth is a is a globe, it's a it's a sphere and it's circles, but the way that it's revealed in that sea of glass, every island, every nation, every person, every place is there before it. And then the Lord reminded me that the heaven is my throne, but the earth is my footstool. And the feet of God resting on that sea of glass across that great reality of there is the fullness of earth and all of us people in the midst of the throne of God. 
so that we're never really out of his throne. We're always right there. We're, we are that, that statement he made that we're constantly before the ever seeing eye of God. It's not just a spiritual thing, but it's a, it's a real thing. It's a thing that we're there. Then I noticed on the sea of glass, Jesus was walking. He could have been seated in the throne with the father, the great throne of God, but he wasn't. He was walking. Then I remembered again the scripture of John in Revelation where he said he walked among the candlesticks, which are the churches. And I noticed Jesus was able to walk and stand in the middle of anywhere in the world and be fully there and at the same time still fully in heaven. That the, the dynamic of the way heaven and earth function together, I had okay. never comprehended that before. Yeah. But now I was beginning to. Well, Jesus would stand in some places and he would turn toward the Father and begin to intercede in prayer. As he would pray, uh, his prayers would be um, dynamic, to say the least. John, John said his voice sounded like many waters. I would like you to take the focus not, not on the volume of a loud waterfall, but on the word many. And he was able to pray all the prayers that needed to be prayed at the same time. He has a God ability to take all the prayers and that need to be declared before the Father and just pray them all at one time. So thousands of prayers were being prayed. I didn't understand them. I don't want to go there. But I knew what he was doing. I recognized. I just knew he's praying thousands of prayers to the Father. As he prayed, the next thing happened. I saw that above me, angels were ascending, coming past me, going through the sea of glass and entering into the earth. They were going there by divine assignment. I just knew that. I just knew that when Jesus was praying to the Father, the Father was responding and his prayers were being answered and angelic forces were being released. Sometimes one or two angels, sometimes 10 or 20, sometimes thousands at a time were being released, passing through into their assignments on the earth. I could only imagine, though I didn't see any battles, I thought of Daniel and the when Daniel prayed the prayer and the war broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels and Gabriel and his angels, and it's right. described to us. I said, there's no telling what's happening out of my view, but here they go and the work and the, and the activity of heaven is going forward as Jesus prays. And I knew that his prayers were moving God. God was moving these angels. It was pretty exciting. So while I'm standing there watching that happen, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed by it, obviously. I won't go into that. But I realized there were other people standing where I was standing. And as I looked around, the scripture that, that was reminded to me back to the book of Hebrews was cloud of witnesses. And okay. the Lord whispered to me, you're in the cloud of witnesses. Well, my thought was I'm going to see Elijah and Elisha and Moses. But that's not who I saw. Uh, that's not what I was there to see. I saw people that were much more modern than that. They were with me. They, too, had passed on the way those guys had. They had been people that had lived for God on the earth, but they were more modern. They were closer to my time. To my right, I saw this couple that I knew were married on earth. I knew they had been together on earth, and they were there to watch something. And as they leaned over, they looked into the earth. That part of the earth began to just open up so that I could see, in, and so could they, in minute detail. And they saw their grandson giving his heart to God, praying the sinner's prayer, giving up to Jesus. It was the moment that they had prayed for. They were shouting in heaven that wow. this, was, this was happening. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, and he said, the things you pray on earth, your prayers live long beyond your own life. Wow. And what you pray while you're on earth continues to work and function. 
And when your prayers are answered, you'll be invited to come and watch the answer to your prayer. And then I noticed there were people that had been called and they were seeing revivals break out in cities where they had lived, pastored, prayed for and sought God for it. No breakthrough while they were on earth. But now the breakthrough was coming and they were celebrating the victory of their prayer that God was answering on earth. This whole moment in, with, in this time, God could have taught me a lot of things, but his focus was constantly on prayer. He was teaching me about prayer. And so everything around me had to do with that. He did let me see that uh, some people who had passed away and they were coming up, they were Christian, they were coming up through there. He was there through the glass. He was there to greet them and love them and, and be there and hug them. And they, the first person they would see would be Jesus. And, and then he would point out where I was. And, and there were kinfolks and friends and, and relationships from their life on earth that were there to greet them. And they were applauding them and hugging them. And that, that our relationships go forward into heaven was a very real thing. Then the scripture he spoke to me in that moment was, remember Stephen, when Stephen was stoned, what happened? Sure. He looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the father's right hand. He said, Stephen was able to see through the glass to the other side and see me standing there to welcome him. And just like I've welcomed these, it's that same process. And then the scripture bore it out. Hmm. It was pretty cool. Back to wow. the angels. Remember, John said that when he saw the angels, he saw them in a in a encircling. So the circle continued, encircling the heaven. And in that circular process, he said there were 10,000 times 10,000 angels. Whether or not he means that to be an exact number or whether he was trying to make a statement that there was an almost an infinity number of angelic forces. When I looked up, I don't know how he could have counted them. <laughs> it would have been a miracle that he knew how many there were as these angels, both in worship and in warfare, as God would assign them and move. And so that heaven started at this circle, beginning from the throne of God and the 24 elders, moved up into the place where I was with the cloud of witness and on into the fullness of the angels. And it's just this massive, active, exciting, wonderful place. And then it was over. Wow. And then, then it all happened in a matter of moments. He, he showed me what he wanted me to see. That There was no more to that. It was just what he wanted me to see. Sure. And then, then I'm, I'm left kneeling at that pew that morning, not sure how to respond. And, I, and the Holy Spirit just whispered, and he said, well, what did you learn? Hmm. I said, I'm not even sure what I, I learned. But one of the things I learned is that I don't have to enter into the throne room of God. I just have to recognize I'm in the throne room of God. Mm. I'm always there because, because mm. everything we do is in the midst of the throne. He said, mm. that's right. He's Jesus tried to teach you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not a long way off. It's right. within reach. You're always there. So mm. that the natural and the supernatural, both kingdoms are important, but they're intertwined. You need to remember, he said, that when I destroy, and later on he tells us he's going to destroy the heaven and the earth. They'll be destroyed by fire. And then he will create a new heaven and a new earth. He said, notice, I destroyed them together and I created new ones together. Because the activity between the natural and the supernatural is so important that one really can't operate fully to its purpose without the other. Heaven wow. can't accomplish its purpose without earth and earth cannot accomplish its purpose without heaven. And so mm -hmm. there's this dynamic interaction that he that he made me aware of and that I realized I live in the midst of the supernatural, though I live it very much in the natural.
and that heaven is always at hand. The second thing he asked me after he had asked me, what did I learn? He said, what else did you learn? I said, I learned, I think I learned, I think I noticed, and Holy Spirit, tell me if I'm right, that when Jesus intensified his prayer, heaven got more active. Something happened, and when Jesus prayed, that more more angelic activity, more people came to the banister to look, to watch. Things were happening based on the prayer life of Jesus. He said, that's right. He said, now, what moves Jesus' prayer? I said, I don't know. He said, that's why you're here. He said, Jesus would step into the prayers of others. And when they prayed their prayer of faith in Jesus' name, Jesus prayed and heaven was released. That's the importance. And that's where the title of the book comes from, is that when we begin to pray in the name of Jesus, not flippantly, but in a divine sense of I am passing my prayers into the fullness of the power of Jesus. There is an energy and life into his own prayer and his own intercession that moves as he takes forward. That's why important, it's important that he finds someone to fill in the gap, to make up the hedge, to those, those demands of prayer that are placed on us. Huh. We respond in that. We are literally praying into the fullness of Jesus and praying in Jesus and with Jesus. And the authority of Christ now declared our prayers before the Father and heaven begins to move. He then reminded me of this, Glenn. He said, remember later on in that same book of Revelation where you're getting so much understanding from, that there was a scroll brought out. It had seven seals on it, and no one was worthy to open the seals. Sure, Lord, I remember that. He said, remember, John wept and wept because there was no one who could open those seals. I said, yes, I remember that. He said, and then finally, the elder tells John, don't weep. There's someone in his name. It's Jesus, and Jesus steps up. It's a dynamic moment in the scripture. And then he opens the first seal. As soon as he opens the seal in heaven, the focus of the story goes to the earth because what happened Mm. in heaven released something new on the earth. He said it's always that way. Until it's released in the heavens, it can't be released on earth. That until there's a shift in the heavens, you can do a human shift, an earthly shift, but you can't keep it in that place because it doesn't have the support of heaven. If you want to change earth, change heaven. And when you release something in heaven, something shifts on the earth. If you want to see a change in your nation, in your family, in your own life, you pray a breakthrough into heaven. And when you pray that in Jesus' name and he makes the change, now that which you've worked so hard for is almost effortlessly. The entire atmosphere shifts. What could live, can't live. What should live, does live. There's a shift brought on by the prayers of the saints through Jesus to the Father in his name that literally causes Jesus to do something he hasn't done. All of that was a part of that process that literally affected my prayer life, obviously from that day forward and and our church, we, we went back and began to teach prayer differently and do prayer differently. And, and our church has experienced quite a move of God, but, but it was the will of God to do that, but he needed us to pray in line with his will so he could do that. And so, so prayer is the key to, everything. Wow. Bottom line that morning. And then I'll let you ask questions. But the bottom line was, uh, was very simple, very simple was that he he whispered this in my ear and he said, I want you to understand this. You're going to do a lot of things. You're going to use your gifts and skills. You're going to use your voice. You're going to preach. You're going to teach. You're going to do a lot of things in your life. But the most important thing you ever do is pray. Yeah. Always all the other things together. Don't even hold a close second to the power of your prayer closet. Hmm. Don't let it. 
anything replace your prayer closet. It is your most important activity. Wow. Wow. So powerful, uh, so profound, so deep. And just as you had that experience where you didn't know how to respond at that time, that's how I'm feeling right now. Uh, one of the things that just came to me, though, as you were sharing this was, you know, the scripture in, in 2 Corinthians that Paul says, um, it, it's something we're very familiar with, and, and we quote it frequently in terms of all the promises of God finding their yes in him. This is the English standard. It says, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And to me, what you just shared has just helped me to understand and see this with a, a fresh perspective, completely different in the sense that Jesus is actually, um, you know, collaborating with us in that sense that he's embracing and praying with us. That's powerful. Um, amazing. And, and so, as you said, that impacted you, your ministry, how you pray, how you teach prayer, um, yep. you know, even how I'm sure your church, um, worshiped, prayed, etc. Why is it that prayer, it just seems that's that one thing the enemy really fights against the most. And, you know, I, I, I preached just the other day, and one of the scriptures that I, I used was Psalm 10, verse 4. It talks about the wicked and the pride of his countenance doesn't seek after God. And I was talking about prayer in the sense of prayer really seeking after God and getting to know him. The enemy fights against that. He does not want the church to really understand prayer or more importantly, to, to live out prayer. So why is it that the enemy hates that so much? Why is it that prayer is such a powerful weapon against the enemy? Yeah, because it, it always wins. Because a person who knows how to pray always wins and the devil always loses. He's, the only way he wins is to keep us from praying. That's his only hope. Wow. Uh, he, he doesn't mind us being busy. He doesn't mind us being generous. He doesn't mind us doing a lot of good Christian and Christ-like things. But when we go into the prayer closet, we literally shift kingdoms. We literally empower the kingdom of heaven to destroy it. We empower the angelic forces of the spirit of God, the word of God to be applied. It's a shift that if he can stop that one. See, this, is, this is so important because in Daniel's day, uh, the devil and Daniel set himself to pray. The Bible said that so that three times a day he was giving himself to prayer. He had some key things he was asking God for. And they were the, all things the devil did not want to happen. And the devil could do all he wanted, but he knew if he couldn't stop Daniel, one man committed to prayer consistently and faithfully, he knew if he couldn't stop him. So what does he do? He inspires some selfish men to come up with a way to disqualify Daniel from leadership and to throw him into the lion's den and have him eaten. Because the right. devil knew he needed him destroyed because he had to stop his prayer life or stop praying. The devil didn't care. If you'll stop praying, I don't care if you live. But if you're going to keep praying, I want you to die. That's how important it was. Daniel, on the other side, said, I would rather die praying than live not praying. And he made his commitment to prayer, even if it cost him his life. Right. I can only imagine his Jewish uh, buddies coming to him and saying, here in Babylon, Daniel, we, you're a, you have a a good position for us. You're good for the Jewish people. You have influence that we need you to keep. You, you, We need you to stay in your spot. And it's only a 30-day rule. So if you could just step back for 30 days. And Daniel's response evidently would have been, and it's not in the scripture, you know, I'm taking a little liberty here, but evidently it would have been, 
it would have been, listen, I'd rather spend the next 30 days and praying and die than spend the rest of my life having given up 30 days of the potential of prayer and what it could be done. It was so committed to it. And, you know, the end of the story is he kept praying and everything Daniel prayed for happened. Everything he asked for came into being, plus things he didn't know to pray for. Some of those things didn't happen until after he was dead, but he huh. he worked the victory in his time of prayer. He made the guarantee. He prayed the word of God and the promises of God into being for yet another generation. What what if our prayer life right now is more about what's going to happen with our grandchildren than with us? That if we learn the power of prayer, we can literally change the outcome of the generations ahead by that. And we will be like that old couple called up one day. Come here and stand and watch this. This is what you prayed for. And your prayers won this victory. When you get to heaven, they're going to celebrate what you prayed, not what you did. That's how powerful prayer is. And so Daniel, Daniel got that. But the devil knew if I could just stop Daniel. And he does it with us. He does it with us, Glenn, with uh I need a little more sleep. He does it with, uh, I need to do this. I need to do that. Oh, I got, this is so important. And we end up allowing prayer to be the leftover part, not the primary part. Mm. Yeah. And if we can, if we can shift that, we can shift yeah. that. And, and I don't think we have to pray forever. I don't think we have to even be good yeah. at it. I think we have to just right. show or something. Yeah. About that. yeah. Yeah. No, very good. Um, that's that's true. Now, the subtitle of your book is Five Altars of Prayer That Shift Heaven and Earth. So let's talk a little bit about altars in the scripture, and then what do altars look like today for us? Excellent question. To me, uh, I use that term altar kind of loosely. I don't mean that we, we have to build a wooden bench at the front of the building. That's not what I'm speaking of at all, nor do I believe we have to stack up stones and establish an Old Testament-style altar. It's not about that. The, the altar I speak of is not about the place, but the heart and the posture of the heart. It's a moment where we call on God. We just call on God. We, uh, we talked about Daniel. He had an altar. Look what happened. We can look at Hezekiah. When they, when they were in trouble, he built an altar of sorts. It wasn't really an altar, but it was a part where he bowed before God. Samson built altars. Zechariah mm-hmm. built altars. Jesus built altars. Before he broke the bread, he stopped and prayed. That's building an altar. It's stopping and saying, I need God in this moment. I need the help of the Lord. I'm reaching out to God. I, I want to pray. I want to spend time in his presence. I want to move from the natural to the supernatural. And I need the help of God to come. That's an altar. There's, there's all kinds of altars, and we'll talk about those in a minute, I know. But it's establishing that moment where we reach beyond the natural into the supernatural, asking God to do something special for us, asking him to use the resources of heaven in our situation on earth. That, that's what an altar is. And it's, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. It, it's realizing I can't do it. It's a faith thing. I believe God can do it. Uh, it's an obedient thing praying the word of God. He said, you have not because you ask not. So it's an act of obedience. Um, and so it's that moment of, of praying. It's just prayer. It's a prayer and it can be done anywhere. It can be done on the steering wheel of your car. It can be done across your dining room table. It can be done knelt down at your bed. It can be done sitting in a chair. It can be done walking down the street uh, or sitting at your desk. Uh, there's so many places, but when you stop and build an altar, Things have the opportunity to go through a transition they cannot go through any other way by building an altar. So we need to learn to build altars. Very good. Thank you. So let's talk about the five altars of prayer in your book. What are they? Well, the first one is personal. I believe every, uh, and you know, as I do in the book, I spend a little more time here because 
our personal altar is the key to all the other altars. If I don't have that, the other altars don't have a chance. I've got to really develop a personal altar. So I call it the secret place. Jesus said, here's when you pray, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into your room. I want you to shut the door. I want you to be totally alone. Don't invite anyone. You can't take your spouse into the altar I'm speaking of here. You, you can't take your friends with you. There are those altars, but not this altar. This altar is a secret place. And we go into this secret place where, where nobody's there but me and God. I, in Psalms 139, the psalmist David describes, uh, the he uses the term secret place. Only he describes it as the womb where he was formed and the place where he was made, the place where his days were numbered, where his purpose was established, that he was formed and forged in the secret place. Now, Jesus turns around and says, I want to meet you in the secret place. Is it possible those two have something to do with each other? That in the, mm. I'm in the physical, I'm going into a spiritual place where I was made, where I was formed, where I was designed where the purpose of my life was established, where the days of my life were numbered, where the resources of my life were already packaged for every day. So Jesus then in turn tells us that when you're in the secret place, ask for your daily bread, your daily ration, your daily supply. It's all been set apart. In the secret place, a good father, if he's going to discipline us, he's going to take us to the secret place, not do it in public. When there's a cleansing that needs to take place, he takes us into private and things happen in private. If stuff happens in that secret place when I go in there, sometimes he tells me how proud he is of me. Sometimes he says, son, I was kind of disappointed in the way you responded yesterday. That was the old you. I thought we were beyond that. God, you know, I'm not beyond that. Yeah, but now you know you're not beyond that. We need to talk about that. Let's work on that. And it's in that secret place that he says, this is my call in your life. This is my purpose. It's dynamic. And everyone needs that secret private place of prayer. Uh, it, that private place, so many things happen. Here's one of the things I've noticed in my own life. When I've had a real victory in life, maybe my ministry, something went really well, way better than me. It was the anointing, the work of God. It made me look good in front of others. It gave me right. a little arrogance. I began to think higher of myself than I should. It's like that vessel that, that is used for, for, for very deep ceremonial use in the old temple. They would have to clean that vessel out until the marks of previous use were completely gone. They'd have to take sandpaper to it to get off those old marks before they could use it again. Because sometimes our past successes hinder our future use. But God wants to do that in private. I come in private. He deals with me. I come out a lot more humble than I went in. And then on the other side, when I failed, and I come in to feed it, and I've got, I don't even know why you use me. If I were you, I'd throw me out. I'd get somebody else. Then he puts his arm around me, and he says, oh, remember this day, and remember that. And by the time I leave the secret place, I've got faith and hope again. I think God could use me. There's so much that happens behind closed doors. And if we don't get behind closed doors, it can't happen. Uh, God's not going to chase us down normally. There are sins. There are sins, Glenn. I, I spent a lot of years as a district superintendent with, with a with over twenty, with over two thousand ministers under my care and six hundred churches, and I had to deal with fallen ministers. Sure. And one of the things I learned about that was that God would try and try to get them to meet Him in secret, and deal with that in secret, and if they yeah. would have, the rest of us would have never known it. It could yeah. have been dealt with, but there's a point yeah. where a good father. If you won't let him deal with you in secret, we'll finally deal with you in public. And yeah. that's when it becomes public. 
I tell everybody, develop and maintain that secret place. It's also, it's a place of authority. Whatever position God has given you in life, your first authority to fulfill that position is your authority in the, in the supernatural spiritual realm that you can make more difference in prayer with those things God's called you to do, your children, your grandchildren. If you're a pastor of a church, the church you pastor, the community you've been assigned. If you're in, a, in the business world, the business responsibilities God has given you, you have more power when you walk in and close that door behind you. It's the greatest impact you'll ever have is what you can do in secret. There's nothing compared to that. That's your first and highest priority altar is your secret altar. And it's also the one you have to fight the hardest to get and keep. Because the devil is more afraid of that altar than any other altar you have. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So you, yeah, that's great. And as you said in your book, that is the altar that you focus the most attention on. Um, let's just briefly just touch on what are the other four? Right. The second one I call the core altar. And it's the altar that every leader needs where people stand around him and hold his hands up in prayer. I use the story mm. of, of Moses when he's on the mountaintop and, uh, and, and he has he's surrounded, surrounded by hers on one side and 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 uh, Aaron's on the other side and they're holding his hands yes. up. Joshua's down in the down in the valley fighting the battle, and as the hands of Moses are held high, the, Joshua's winning. And when his hands begin to drop, Joshua loses. And he's showing us the connection between people in leadership who are supported by people of prayer that they have a different result for the whole group that they're leading, whether it's family, whether it's church whatever level it is, when you're leading something, you need people around you supporting you in prayer. And I call that the core altar. Everybody needs a core around them, holding their hands up in prayer, holding them in prayer, keeping, I have a group right here, meeting the office I'm setting in every Tuesday morning, seven o'clock, they come in, we pray together. I pray over them and then they hold me up in prayer and they pray over me. And as long as they're praying and keeping my hands up, we're seeing a different result in the ministry I lead than when they're not. It's one of the quickest ways to make a shift is to build a core altar of people that pray with you regularly and you pray with them. So you need a core prayer team. The next one is community altar. Again and again through scripture, we see the community altars. Uh, Acts, there's a number of them. Uh, the, the first one is the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out. That was on a community altar. We see other community altars. We see in Mary's house, a great community altar that was prayed. And they were praying for Peter while he was in prison or in jail. And then God got him out and woke him up, brought him out into the street. And he went to Mary's house and found them in a prayer meeting, a community prayer meeting. There's dynamic in community prayer meetings. If it's if there's a loss in churches across the world, so many right is one of the things they've given up is the power of that community prayer. Something happens when we join together in the community and agree and pray that moves heaven in a different way. Yeah. It moves us dynamically. We have to have that, that altar. The next altar, I'm watching your clock there too. I see we need to move on. Yeah, you're good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, but that next altar is, is the miracle altar. Um, if you've studied the book of, of, of yeah. Act, just that book, you'll notice that the miracles produce the platforms to preach from. It wasn't the platforms that produced the miracles. It was the miracles that produced the platforms. The miracles came out of the altars of those who had prayed for them. After the miracle took place, now people are ready to listen and hear and believe. Then the message is preached, the gospel is received. 
And then they would go to another miracle altar and another miracle altar and another miracle altar. Paul was so impressed with this process and operated in that process that he said, when I come, came to you, I didn't come with enticing words. It wasn't with my preaching, but I came to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. That demonstration and power is miracles. That's the miracle activity of God. There must be miracles in the church. The church advances at the rate of its miracles. You add miracles, you'll add church growth. You decrease miracles, you can have a crowd growth, but you may not have church growth. Something shifts when we move into the miraculous. How do we build an altar for the miracles? Well, I would deal with it in the book in more detail than I would today. But, but first of all, you have to give God the opportunity to do the miracles. So praying for miracles, praying for, they did that in community. The community prayed, God, stretch forth your hand to heal the sick and to work many mighty miracles. They asked for it. They asked for it in community. And then they made room for it in practice. I think uh, quickly, I think, number one, we need the faith to lay hands on people according to the scripture. The scripture says lay hands on them in the book of James, lay hands on them, anointing them with oil. Pray the prayer of faith and God will raise them up. So there's something dynamic about that process. And if we don't participate in the process, we can't expect the result. And the process matters because it speaks of that one in authority. And you're in the authority. You're coming in the name of Christ. You're going in my name. He said, I sent you in my name. We're coming in the name of Jesus. That's that authority laying hands on. So that's showing God involved in the process through the people of his church. The anointing of the oil, using the oil, which represents the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, and then declaring the promise of the word of God. If we're praying for healing, we declare by his stripes we are healed. And we step into those those full work of God. We just created an altar for a miracle. We lay hands on them and we pray in faith. And we pray according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide you when you pray for miracles. He may speak to issues and processes and purposes that are going on in the life of the person that the 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 good fruit of what they're going through could be more than just the miracle declaring the name of Christ. There could be a good work done in them an awakening in them, uh, an insight that comes to them. So you want the full work of it, but you, but you plan and pray for the miracle. I, I recommend that every pastor, every pastor creates a miracle altar time in his church service and that he has spirit filled people who are prayed up. They're a part of his core prayer team probably. They're people that he knows know how to pray and they're prayed up when they come in and they're prepare their hearts before it. And then you invite the needs to come forward. They may not all be healed. I explained some of that in the book. Not time for it today, probably, but many will be. And it will move toward a platform for others to hear the gospel. And we'll begin to see the activity of God. Expect the miraculous. Expect the miraculous and build an altar of miracles. The last one, <laughs> we're going to, we're covering a lot of ground in a hurry here, Glenn. No, this is good. No, no problem. Take your time. The last one is um, the altar of salvation. Every altar should lead to somebody's salvation. My life should be my private altar. When I'm praying alone, I pray for the salvation. I pray around the world. I pray for lost people in my community. I pray for lost by name. I'm praying for salvation. It's a part of my prayer time. I pray for people I love and I know by name. For, and then I pray for people I don't. 
for the salvation of souls. We're praying for souls. The church prays for souls. Miracles are to build a platform so that others can be saved. When our hands are up, what's the miracle? What's the victory of the church? Souls being saved. Lives being changed. That's the victory. And so we're praying. We're always praying for that. And if we do all of that prayer for someone to come to Christ, and then there's not a place or an opportunity for them to respond, shame on us. So all that prayer leads to an altar that we build for them. Now, their next altar, they're going to build themselves. But we're going to build an altar of opportunity for the lost to come to Christ. In a church service, we call it an altar call, the moment to respond. But it's also me and my friend at work that I've been praying for and, and given the opportunity. I build that altar. Would you like to receive Christ today? Are you ready today? Uh, yeah. Where are you at in your understanding of God? I build it in my in my car. I build it wherever they are. We're constantly moving toward the altar of salvation. And we all had our altar of salvation if we're already a believer. And then we want to build that altars for others. So all altars lead to the altar of salvation. Wow. Amazing. Very good. And you know what? I just want to comment on that for those who are uh, watching the interview or listening on the podcast. Um, we myself and my wife, we are now part of a team here in Australia, Melbourne called Newman Church. We have a full time prayer pastor. We we every service, mm-hmm. every time we get together, we give an altar call because the very thing you said uh, it's all has to come back to salvation and all of the miracles, the supernatural, the signs and wonders. We believe in it all and we are intentional to to see the Holy Spirit move that way, lay hands on the sick, etc. But it's all about ultimately the greatest miracle, people coming into the kingdom and knowing Jesus Amen. as their Lord and Savior. And so that's so important. Now, this book that you've written uh in Jesus' name, all about the five altars that move heaven and earth. Let's talk about how we can get a copy because it, it it's a great book. Honestly, guys, it's going to change the way you pray. And as a result of that, the miracles you're going to see, as the subtitle says, prayers that literally those altars that shift uh, and, and move heaven and earth. So it, it's life changing. Pastor Rick, how do people get a hold of your book the easiest way that all of us do is just to go to amazon there there is no i mean everybody i know buys their books on amazon and you can buy this one on amazon so uh, that's easy uh you can do a download you can do a listen all of that's on amazon so i, I want you to know that first secondly is you can go to baker Baker Books, Baker.com, I think it's called. And you can go to Baker Books and you can buy directly from Baker, who is the publisher. Uh, I think actually it's called Chosen, but Chosen is a part of Baker. And and you can purchase the book that way. You can buy it through My Healthy Church, which is the Assemblies of God, where we have it here. It's where we we house a lot of them here and we're ready to send them. You can do it any of those areas. If you go to richarddebose.com, uh, my website will direct you to different ways to get the book. If you're buying large quantity and you go to richarddebose.com, uh, there are special rates, obviously, available there. If you're going to yeah. buy a lot of books, if you're going to say, I won't have my church to do it or whatever, that'd be the way to go. You'd save some money. But all of those all of those are ways that people are purchasing the book. And I want to tell you one more thing, Glenn. I didn't share this if you have time on the recording. Yeah, yeah, no, no, go uh, ahead, please. Uh, we've we've opened up what we call the, the Assemblies of God World Prayer Center here in Springfield, Missouri. 
It's a cool building. We've done all this work on it. It's a neat building. We have prayer going all the time over there. It's a constant. And we have prayer missionaries that are that are raising their funds to come live full time, pray full time. And then wow. we have prayer groups that come in, churches, different churches, different days coming in and praying. Here's the uniqueness of it. Uh, we put in a floor that's 20 foot by 30 foot, 600 square foot floor, and it's an LED. And we hook yeah. it to Google Earth. And uh, it's our wow. CFS. And we walk all over the earth on that floor praying. We wow. pray around the world. We wow. we pull up cool. uh, key places. Um, we walk up and down main streets of cities. Uh, we pull up churches and just stand around the church and pray over those churches. We pull up places like the White House. And we just stand around the White House and government centers. And uh, we do it not just that's in the U.S., but obviously around the world because people come in from all over the world to pray at the World Press Center. And, and uh, I'll tell you, those Africans come in. They know how to pray. Uh, uh, that's for sure. pray. Yeah. And dynamic. But uh, I just want to invite people. If you're going to come be in Springfield, Missouri, let us know. Uh, send me a little note on uh, at And uh, we'll make arrangements to meet you and give you a great experience. And if you'll let us know the area of the world you'd like to pray for, we can have that preset up for you and uh, let you walk the world while you pray with Jesus. Wow. How good is that? That is powerful. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. now I've got to come to Springfield, Missouri. And <laughs> you got to come. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Listen, uh, Pastor Rick, I just honestly, what you just shared really shifted, you know, the trajectory of the interview. And, and I really feel that the Holy Spirit just wants us to talk about one more thing. Okay. that I believe is so important. We're in a time where God is doing something very unique in his church around the world. There seems to be a call to the life of consecration, to repentance, to once again, reaching the nation, seeing revival. Yes. Um, what role is prayer playing in, in all of this? Because we believe there's gonna be the greatest revival of ever. Is, is about to shake the earth. And we're seeing it. Yes. But yeah, but let's, would you please just speak into that? What role does to. prayer play in that? I'd love to. I'm reading through Mark chapter nine and Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James and John are with him and he's glorified before them. It's quite a moment. It's an incredible moment. Then they come down the mountain and they get into the valley. When they get into the valley, uh, they find a father who has a son that's demon possessed and he has brought his son to the other nine disciples. Three of the disciples are with Jesus. The other nine are there. They try to cast the, the demon out. They're unsuccessful. Jesus then casts the devil out. He does it. Then just read a couple of more scriptures. I think it's verse 28. It says, when they were behind closed doors, they asked him, why couldn't we cast him out? Legitimate question. Because earlier he had already given them authority over devils and they had already been casting devils out. And then this one, why couldn't we cast this one out? What, what happened here? Jesus's answer helps us right now in the day we live in. He said, un interesting statement, this kind. That's interesting. He had never categorized devils before. He had just said devils. Mm -hmm. This one, he said this kind. And then he says only. And if you want to break down those words, it is a well-translated scripture. Only. There's only one way this kind is moved. And then he says by prayer. NIV says prayer. King James Version says prayer and fasting. 
the right. real word that's interpreted prayer in NIV, prayer and fasting in King James Version, is a word that means a participation, participated in place of prayer. It means that a place has been established, a time on your calendar has been established, a time in your day has been established, and you have kept your appointment. You have been in that place. You are coming out of a place of prayer. If you're not coming out of a place of prayer, living in a place of prayer, then this kind of devil, you will not be able to move. Wow. When I'm studying that one morning, the Holy Spirit said the kind of devil that, especially the American church, but much of the world is dealing with today, will not come out by the kind of prayer the church is praying today. You've got to establish a place of prayer and a passion for prayer because the, the warfare we're in, Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. Our weapons are spiritual weapons, and we use those weapons at an altar of prayer. And the only way we're going to win the battles we're facing, the only way we're going to win this battle where, where our poor young people are, are being so twisted in their thinking about even their own, their own whether I'm a boy or a girl, whether I'm, they're questioning things we never, how did we get here? This yeah, kind of battle can only be defeated by a new kind and a new level of prayer. That's how important prayer is to the day in which we live. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Wow. So powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It, very interesting because what is happening over here in Melbourne, Australia at NUMA, we are literally saying the same thing. I'm, I'm just going, wow, this is so powerful. In fact, I just preached a message on that passage of scripture mm -hmm. And uh, the, the whole, what you just shared, almost verbatim. That's and, cool. and that's a revelation the Lord gave me. So powerful. And uh, yeah, so good, guys. We're living in an, an incredible time. Uh, I think, Pastor Rick, one of the things I just wanted to add, and do feel free to, to comment on this, is the role of prayer, but also coupled with repentance and brokenness. Um, I, I'm seeing, you know, there are people that pray and, and sometimes, you know how the, the scripture talks about, we, we can discern things, you know, the spiritual man discerns all things right. And, right. and we hear people pray at times and we go, well, that's a nice prayer, but there's something not quite right. It's like that place of brokenness and, and, uh, you know, that, that place of surrender it's just like it's more, uh, you know, a, a ritual or and so on. Yeah. Uh, I know you talk about repentance, which is incredible. I mean, yeah. the kingdom of God, you have to repent to access the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So just feel yeah. free to comment on you know, that. My first, my first thought on that, Glenn, is remembering what James said when he said, you have not because you ask not. And then you ask and do not receive because you ask to consume it upon your own lust. You have not been crucified. You have not submitted. You have not turned away from your own will and your own purpose. You're still wanting to use God for you, not pray the will of God into being. Your kingdom come, your will be done as a part of that prayer. And if it's really my kingdom come, my will be done, God, you help me do it. And it's that moment in prayer that hasn't come out of repentance. And the great prayer of Nehemiah, where he repented with his own sin and the sin of his people. And he wept over the city and he wept or he was broken for that. There's a thing that happens in a broken place of prayer that is so spiritually dynamic that all heaven stops and says, change that and that and that. And seals begin to open and the earth begins to shift. 
when it comes out of a prayer of faith, prayed out of a heart that is focused on the will of God, not the will of man, on God's purpose, not my purpose. And that's that repentance, repenting of myself, turning away from my own will. You're so right. You're so right. Well yeah. said. Well, so good. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this edition of uh, Kingdom Community Show. Glenn Blakeney is my name. My guest has been Pastor Rick DeBose. If you're listening on the podcast, um, we want to just let you know how to spell his name. So you can go to the website, pick up a copy of the book. It's Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D, DeBose, D-U-B-O-S-E.com. And just access the website, guys, to... Um, get a hold of this book. It's a life-changing book, and we highly recommend that you get a copy and uh, share share it around. We need to get back to prayer more than ever, and that prayer that comes out of consecration and brokenness, So, and faith, obviously. Yeah. Uh, seeing the restoration of the power of the Holy Spirit on the earth. Thank you so much, Pastor Rick, for your time. Thank you, Glenn. It's been fun. Enjoyed being with you a whole lot. A whole lot. Uh, me too. I really did. Bless you. God bless you.